Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4? And if you um, haven't got a Bible with you, please grab one of the church Bibles that's in front of you in the pew and turn to page number 1175, 1175. Should get you there if your Bible's like mine. 1175, Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read the first 16 verses. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is God's word. Now keep your Bibles open and let's pray as we come to Father, we want to thank you that this is your word and we want to understand it. So, Father, we ask that the same spirit that inspired these words would uh, fill us and give us insight, give us understanding, give us power that we may live out the reality of these verses, that you'd help us to be a church that grows uh, up in love. We pray that those feeling on the edge of things would be drawn in, that each would find their place, that we may work together so that you would be glorified. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, why have you come to church tonight? Um, I think my children sometimes come just to hang out with their friends afterwards. Some people come for that, meet up with friends. Some people come 
because it's a spiritual gas station church they see church basically as the place where you come each week for a top up whether that's from the sacraments or from a kind of a, a religious experience or Bible teaching uh, some see it as a spectator sport with reward points you know within Christendom some see that in a sense the more services you attend the more points you accrue and maybe that things are going to be right with you and God and uh, some see it as quite a passive experience, like riding on a bus. You kind of sit there and you can kind of decide how well the pastor's driving the bus or not. To go, oh no, what was he doing today? Uh, but we go home and see if he does a better job next week. Some people see church as a therapy session. For some people, the, the, the world is made up of basically two types of people. Uh, those in therapy and those in denial. And church is another place where we can, in a sense, meet all our therapeutic needs. Um, quite often you see that uh, people who've kind of had a Christianized background, when they get married or when the kids turn up, they decide, well, we're going to go back to church because we want to give them a kind of a moral education, teach them some family values. There's all sorts of reasons in Christendom out there about what people think church is there for. And so, really, that's why we've been exploring this series on Sunday evenings about what is the church and what is the church supposed to do according to the Bible. Uh, the first talk we looked at, I came up with a, a definition to help us, a rough guide that goes something like this, that uh, the church is God's people gathered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I was chatting to the Beavers group on Friday night, what is a church? Made the point, this is the building's not the church. It's, it's, it's the people who come together. Something about look inside, there's the people. I don't remember. No, anyway. But church is God's people gathered by the gospel. Nothing to do with bricks, nothing to do with stained glass. It's about people who've put their faith in the Lord Jesus, who are, who are lives are being transformed by the gospel, and that they gather together. There is a Christian church. But this gathering isn't anything ordinary. The Bible says actually that, that this gathering happens in two places at the same time. There is a heavenly gathering around Christ. You can find that in Hebrews chapter 12. That we've come um, not to uh, Mount Sinai, we've come to Mount Zion it says. Uh, the great assembly of all the people, uh, the God's people gathered around Christ worshipping him. And there is this heavenly gathering. That is the ultimate church, the one universal uh, church, And yet, secondly, uh, the local church like us, like Charlotte Chapel, uh, or like Carubbers, or, or St. Catharines, there are other churches where are just really local expressions of that heavenly um, reality. Little mushrooms of that heavenly reality popped up in a specific place. That's how the Bible talks about church. So if church is the gathering of God's people, what are we supposed to do when we gather? Well, uh, we began to explore this. Firstly, we looked at we gather to worship God. We spent a week on that, and you can, if you didn't hear that, you can listen to that online. It's uh, downloadable. And uh, then last week, Rodney looked at this whole thing that we gather to express our fellowship with God in Christ. We gather to have fellowship with one another. And tonight, I want us to focus on this idea of edification. We gather for the edification of the church. Now there's a big fancy word, edification. What does that mean? Well, if you want a simpler word, it's this. Um, it's the word build. You, you ever heard people talk about the fact that they talk about some building, it's a huge edifice? You heard that expression? Well, that's what we're talking about. Edification is about a building, a, 
to build together, to edify, to build up. That's what edification is. We gather together as God's people to build Christ's body, to build his church. And that's why we're going to focus tonight on what Ephesians chapter 4 has to say. Actually, it's not architectural building we're talking about. It's bodybuilding. We're talking about bodybuilding. Now, uh, young men, when they reach somewhere around sort of 14, 15, 16, start to notice some little lumps on their arms, and they think, oh, I can do better than that. And uh, that's when they go out and buy these crazy weights. And, you know, so in that late teenage stage and into your early 20s, guys are chasing the elusive six-pack abs um, and, and until you get married. <laughs> and then you focus on the barrel. It's going very well. It takes a lot of training, a lot of ribs. It's really good from Louisville. But here we're talking about bodybuilding that's a bit different. Here's a bodybuilding you don't give up on. It's the bodybuilding of Christ's body. And and I want to look at a few points here uh, from Ephesians 4. Firstly, the first bit of bodybuilding we're called to is to work out our unity. In the first six verses of Ephesians 4, Paul the Apostle is reminding these Christians that they've been called into membership of the body of of Christ. Look at verse 3 there. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So in this church in Ephesus in the first century, there there, there are people there from all sorts of backgrounds, uh, different ethnic backgrounds, Jewish backgrounds, non-Jewish backgrounds of various national types, uh, different social classes. There would have been those who were slaves. A third of the Roman Empire at that time were slaves. There would have been slave owners. There would have been people with money. There would have been people who were poor. There were men and women, and yet they were all joined together, uh, saved by God's grace, and brought into a profound unity as one church, pictured here as a body, one body. And so we need to see that this is a given unity. Sometimes we talk about churches need to get united. The reality is that the, 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 the unity is there. There is only one body. It's a real spiritual unity, and it's described in a sevenfold way there. One body. One spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And that real unity is something that we are all called to work out in our lives and in our local church, in our conduct as Christians. Let me just point out something that uh, is obvious here, but I think it's necessary. Uh, All through the New Testament, and especially in the book of Ephesians, you'll see that the assumption is that a true Christian... That is, someone who's put their their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will become active members of a local church. They will identify themselves with God's people. They will work at maintaining unity in the gathering of God's people. They're going to be committed to real relationships and fellow believers. That's, That's just New Testament Christianity. So drifting is out. You know, the person who drifts from one church to the next, from one sort of big conference to the next, one parachurch ministry to the next, kind of rootless, not really knowing anyone. Well, that's really not what we find in the Bible. In fact, so many of the verses in the Bible will be irrelevant to that person 
because there's no commitment to ongoing relationships in one body. For such a person, uh, big chunks of the New Testament will just be obsolete. So drifting is out, but effort is in. To be a member of a local church, my friends, requires great effort. Maybe you've noticed that. If you haven't, praise God, but you need to know this because it's going to come. It needs great effort. Great effort to commit to unity, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace there. Uh, the truth is, it is very easy to end up forming groups that gather and turn to criticize things. Criticize things in the church. Uh, criticize decisions that the leaders have made. It's, it's very easy, especially as the church gets bigger and bigger. The truth is, we all have different preferences. And when decisions don't quite go our way, it's very easy to sort of start our own little uh, groups. And uh, it's very easy. Uh, we love to hear little tidbits of, of confidential information. Have you heard about this? Oh, oh. And uh, we gather to share little tidbits of confidential information. And sadly, often those can become distorted. And all that sort of can just grow discord and disunity within local churches. And the truth is, when, when, we, when, we, when we act like that, we are working against the Holy Spirit who desires unity in the, in the bond of peace. When we, when, we, when we act like that, we are actually uh, behaving in a way that is uh, not living up to the, the calling that the gospel has given us. Uh, that's what we see here in Ephesians. It really does take a lot of effort to uh, work together, unity in a church, to pursue peace, to say those things that will build others up and unite people. And uh, the truth is we fight against our flesh in this. I, I see this in myself. Uh, my flesh wants to exalt myself. I want others to see how important I am, the things I know, the people I'm connected to. And uh, I want people to know how incredibly wise I am as I share my opinions on how things really should be done. And, uh, and of course the devil is quite delighted to inflate that sort of ego uh, quite delighted to get in there and, 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 and hype that sense of self-importance. It, it's, it's all too easy uh, to, to play that game and to accept the worst of other people's motives. And so the essential requirement that Paul puts here to the, the church in Ephesus, uh, because these are, these are problems that are unchanged from the first century onwards, he stresses the importance of gospel-motivated Spirit-empowered effort to pursue humility, as it says in verse 2. Be completely humble. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. By verse 2, be completely humble. And do you know what? The killer is the word completely, isn't it? Be humble is one thing, but be completely, seriously, Completely humble? That sounds tough. Be completely humble. And, and, and secondly, the thing we need, be completely gentle. Pursue gentleness. Oh, my friends, this is, this is one of my failings. This is one of my failings. I'm not very gentle. And I seek God's grace regularly to grow to be a more gentle person. I tend to just say things straight out of my mouth. And... Um, I have to ask people for their forgiveness a lot. Here's a way that I need to grow in gentleness. Um, and, and be patient. Bearing with one another in love. 
Now here's bodybuilding that really counts, my friends. Bodybuilding that pursues this unity. And requires the work of God's Spirit in our lives to help us be humble, gentle, and patient with each other. Bearing with each other in love. And so these first six verses focus on uh, the the, the bodybuilding work of unity. And in verses 7 to 11, we see the bodybuilding work of ministry. Every member ministry in verses 7 to 16. See, Jesus not only calls us to be a part of his body, the church, but he calls us to be about the work of building up his body by all of us using our gifts and abilities to serve the body. Uh, look at verse 7. Every, every member plays a part. Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us. Every Christian believer has been given grace to serve in different ways. And when we work properly together, the body grows in maturity and in love. Now this is the evidence of the victory of Christ in his life and death and resurrection, these verses tell us. As uh, we get a quote from Psalm 68. Uh, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And just as in battles, the victorious general or ruler gets to take all the spoils of war and distribute them as he pleases, so the victorious uh, resurrected Jesus gives Christian believers gifts that come by his Holy Spirit. And he's determined what those gifts are. And it's an act of his grace that he gives them to us. And it's important to see, uh, before we think a little bit more about the different gifts, it's important to see that every member ministry in churches flourish when a central place is given to word ministry, when the Bible is taught and proclaimed. Because what we see in verses 11 to 14 is that this ministry is equipped by word ministers. Look at verse uh, 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, uh, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Now at the time that Paul's writing here, all these five types of leaders were present. But today I, I think really it's only those last three types of gifted leaders that we see, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. I don't have time to prove that right now, but if you want to jot down a reference um, about the apostles and prophets, put down chapter 2 verse 20 to 21 and chapter 3 verse 5 and you'll see that they have a foundational role in the life of the church they've, they've laid that foundation and really what we have in our, in our Bibles is the, is the fruit of that foundation and so what we, we still need is these three offices of evangelist pastor and teacher and they're all people who speak the word of God they're all called to continue to proclaim and teach Uh, God's word that we have here in the Bible to proclaim the eyewitness records of the apostles and of the prophets. And the role of such pastor teachers and evangelists is to equip God's people for the work of ministry. Uh, As it says there, to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. So at the beginning we thought about the idea that uh, is church the spiritual gas station? Well, Sort of, yes, isn't it? We come week by week to hear the word explained, uh, read and taught, and we all feed on that together, and we do so in our small groups. But it's, it's not just that. That's just the beginning place. Uh, we kind of think, some people have this view that, okay, we come to church, and uh, we pay the pastor to do ministry, 
when actually what these verses are saying is, is exactly the opposite. You come to the church to pay the pastors to teach the church so the church all together does the ministry, that each one of us does the ministry. So, um, yes, it is a kind of a top-up station, but it's a top-up for us to get busy, busy in the work of bodybuilding together as God's people. Um, this is part, really, of the role of elders in a congregation, to be able to teach God's Word and encourage that. And you very graciously and generously support the church to have paid ministers to, 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 you know, so that I can help you, I guess, feed, uh, feed people in the different ministries to help them do the ministry that we need to do as a church. And we need to see that the health and strength and vigor of a local church does depend on the proper functioning of Bible-proclaiming evangelists, of Bible-proclaiming teachers and pastors. And a church where that's not present is a sickly church. And my hope and prayer is that in the coming months and years, we're going to be able to uh, grow even more Bible training, even more equipping of members in different areas of ministry so that we can grow in fruitfulness as, as a church. I hope that we can identify over the coming months and years more and more um, people uh, men who can uh, act as teaching elders, who can uh, be those that we can send out to pastor uh, other congregations, people who can be church planters, people who can go out and be evangelists, because this is, uh, this is what is needed. Next Saturday, for instance, there is a 2 Timothy uh, 4 training event here at Charlotte Chapel, and uh, where they're going to be teaching about how do you prepare a sermon series that, that does the whole of the Bible. And Peter Granger, the pastor at large, uh, is going to be there with, uh, I think Colin is coming too, isn't he, from Northern Ireland. So there's an event you could grab hold of. Next month I'm leading a, a seminar at St. George's Tron in Glasgow uh, with uh, Willie Phillip and Dick Lucas and others to try and help train younger ministers about how we can handle the Word of God and teach the Word of God. So we're all called to this uh, spiritual role of bodybuilding. God's people gather to edify Christ church, to build up Christ church. Look at verse 15. Pastors and teachers equip the flock, but we all do this work together. That's what verse 15 says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. We are all today, if you're a Christian, if you're a member of this congregation, you are called week by week, to come to church and to be involved in other people's lives in this church in a way that lovingly speaks uh, God's truth into other people's lives. That's something we are all called to engage in. And I have to say, I, I'm, I've been so encouraged to hear reports how, in a sense, more people uh, at the end of services are actually, instead of just talking about the exciting snooker, and isn't it great that that's a national sport we watch on TV, uh, that, 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 that we, uh, before we get to the exciting snooker, people are talking about the sermon. People are saying, okay, what do you think was the main point of that? What, what did you get out of that? What did you learn from that? Oh, I found that helpful. That challenged me. This is, this is wonderful to hear. Uh, this is what really makes a pastor happy. To hear that the, the word preached is being chewed on and discussed 
and applied and lovingly directed to others. And, and we, we talk about how it's speaking to our own lives. That is a wonderful thing to see. That's exactly the work of edification that we're to engage in as a congregation, to, to speak the truth to each other in love. It's wonderful to hear of older members who get involved with fellowship groups with the aim of discipling a younger generation in their group. I love it. Uh, we need you older saints to teach uh, us younger, and I'm, I guess I'm middle-aged now, so even younger than me, teach us about how to pray. Teach us from your life experience about how you've trusted God and seen God at work. We, we, we need uh, the older saints to, to kind of get alongside and, and even more disciple younger people and, and speak the truth lovingly into lives. This is bodybuilding work that greatly honors Christ. I love it when I hear about older women getting alongside younger women to provide godly counsel and support and teaching them from the scriptures about how to cope with singleness or how to cope with marriage, how to cope with children. Having walked through that road, it's wonderful to hear things like that. It so encourages me. Now elsewhere in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, in 1 Peter, in 1 Corinthians, you get discussions about different gifts that God gives people to serve the body. And they range from upfront gifts, public gifts of teaching and preaching, to the less noticed gifts of, of hospitality and helps. And we need them all. We need all those gifts. Now, did you work out the significance of the Old Testament reading? As, uh, as basically all of God's people contributed together towards the building of the tabernacle, which was the place that symbolized the very presence of God amongst his people. Everybody contributed to that. And God in his grace uh, even points out men who we can barely pronounce their names. But it, he did it with such confidence, doing it quickly, so that no one could find it was incorrect. It was brilliant, David. Um, Beziel, was it? And some other dude. Um, filled by God's Spirit because they were given the, the gifts by the Spirit to do good design and craft. So they could build the, the altar and the... Uh, and the mercy seat and the other bits and bobs that would be in uh, the tabernacle. We need all sorts of gifts. How do you discover your spiritual gifts? How do you discover? Well, there are spiritual gift courses out there, but let me tell you a really good way to do this. Look to see where help is needed and just get stuck in. Look around where there's something that needs to be done and just get started. Start serving anywhere. Um, I give you free license to gather together in small groups and plot how you can serve the body of Christ. Gather together and have discussions about how you can love other people. Go to it. You don't even have permission to do that. Just get on straight to it. See an area, get involved and serve. And then, after you've been doing that for a while, say to the people leading, say, um, could you tell me how I'm doing? Could you give me some feedback on what you think my strengths and weaknesses are? And listen carefully to the feedback you get. Because the truth is, you know that you have a gift of teaching if people learn stuff from you. Uh, you know that you have the gift of hospitality because people are blessed when they spend time in your home. You, you'll know that you'll have the gift of encouragement because guess what? People will say to you, oh, you are so encouraging. Well, hang on, they might be onto something here. Uh, you'll know that you have the gift of leadership because people follow you. You know, if nobody's following you, you're not leading, you're just going for a walk, right? It, it, it is by doing 
ministry, getting involved, anywhere. And if people say to you, look, my friend, you really can't sing. Don't be discouraged. Try another area. You know? Uh, or, or um, you know, actually, maybe that area is, you know, you're a, bit, you're a bit too high for the kids in Sunday school. Why don't you try teaching, you know, students? Because I think you'd be great for them. You'll listen to feedback. Yeah? And that's where we can discover what our spiritual gifts are and where we work, where we can best have an impact. So the work of edification is every member ministry. As it says in verse 16, each part working properly, building up in love. So what is the goal of this edification, this bodybuilding? Well, it, it, it's quite simply, it's this. It's growth. It's growth, and it's twofold growth. It's outward in mission, and it's upward in maturity. Outward in mission. You'll see that in verse 10 of chapter 4. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Psalm 68 is a, a psalm that rejoices in the certain victory of God, that, that ultimately all of God's enemies will be crushed, and his people will be totally saved, and his people benefit by receiving all the spoil and plunder uh, of, of, um, of God's judgment of the guilty. And in the end, the whole world all the kingdoms will recognize and worship God. That's what Psalm 68 is about. And Paul takes up that psalm and he applies it to Jesus. And he says of Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead, he sees that as the fulfillment of the psalm, Psalm 68. Uh, that that, that Jesus' death and resurrection is the ultimate victory of God. It is the de- declaration of his right to rule over the whole world. The rule of Christ will fill all things, the Bible says. Jesus Christ's lordship will be recognized by all. And how is this going to take place? What are Christians called to do? Well, we're called to engage in this bodybuilding of building outwards. And how do we do that? We do that by proclaiming the gospel. By sharing the good news about Jesus. And as people respond to that good news and acknowledge the kingship of Jesus, his kingdom grows in its influence. As more people submit their lives under Jesus, the kingdom grows and grows in its influence. Now, near the end of the book of Romans, Paul uh, takes up this building word again, and he says this in Romans 15. It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. That is the outward building then through mission. But also here it's growth that is building upwards in maturity. And there in verse 13 we have uh, this, these three statements of, of, of this growing maturity. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And it's a vision really of a, of a growing unity within a church of our understanding of the faith, of a growing knowledge of Jesus, and a growing maturity as a church, so that the person of Jesus is seen in our community life. That's what's been speaking of here, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. 
so that when people kind of bump into this church and come here and see the way we react and serve and love one another, they're going to scratch their heads and say, wow, I have not seen anything like this anywhere else. What is this? And as they read of Jesus, they say, oh, it makes sense. Right, if he's, he's the head of this body and you're, you're the body, well, that makes sense because I see Jesus in your, in your life together. That's what's being said, this growing maturity here, growth of maturity that looks more and more like Jesus. I had a great email that came in this week uh, from Alistair Begg. And um, I think there's a, a, a lady who's a member of the church in Parkside and her daughter Whitney has been studying in the Netherlands. But nevertheless, she came to Edinburgh at Easter. And uh, the mother kind of wrote back to Alistair. And Alistair forwarded it to me, so let me read it to you. I just, want to, I just wanted to let you know how much Whitney loved Charlotte Chapel. She said it was so comfortable. It felt like being my home church. Things were done just as I'm used to at Parkside. She went alone, of course, and decided to go a little early. She went to get a cup of coffee and had so many sweet older ladies who came up to her to talk. She said she had multiple offers for lunch that day. Exclamation mark, smiley face. What an amazing way for her to witness Christ in his loving fullness embracing her thousands of miles away from home on Easter morning. Isn't that wonderful? Well done, you sweet older ladies. Whoever you are, Tell me. No, don't tell me. But uh, I'd give you a hug. That's wonderful. But do you hear what she said? As sweet older ladies encouraged her, gave her a cup of tea, welcomed her, invited for lunch, she felt the embrace of Christ so far away from home. Well, isn't that exactly what Ephesians 4 is talking about? How wonderful to see it. Well done, church. Let's do it more and more. To grow maturity as a church, we need every member to be about using his or her gifts. Whether that's a cup of tea, chatting to a stranger, whether that's leading a fellowship group, or teaching at Sunday school, or caring for children in the nursery, or doing the sound desk, or getting involved in Christianity Explored, or ministry to the homeless, or leading a table, at, uh, or serving as a deacon. or We could just go on and on and on, couldn't we? Whatever it is, my friends, Get involved. And as you get involved, look to be speaking the truth of God's word in love. So that in all things, we will grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. What, 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 what does a church do? Why does we gather? We gather to edify Christ's body. What a great thing to do. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Father, we want to thank you for that encouragement of hearing of uh, Whitney's experience here. And we thank you for many others who can echo the same. We thank you for the ways in which this church does act and live as the body of Christ. And we look to you, Lord, that you would continue to give us grace, that we may make every effort to keep the unity uh, of this body, that we may work uh, to be patient and humble and gentle and to forgive one another, that we may work hard 
to uh, serve one another in love. We pray that there would be something about us that just couldn't be explained by anything sociological, that could only be explained by your Holy Spirit, that Christ would be glorified in this city through this local body. We ask this in his precious name.